Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. I want to begin this morning um, by sharing a story with you. This concerns Ava. She's our daughter. And before she turned 14, she used to be a little girl. And we were, a couple years ago, um, my family and I went down to California to perform. I did a wedding for uh, a good friend of mine, one of my mentors in ministry, and his daughter was getting married. And so, you know, I got to watch Jessica grow up and then I got to go down and, and perform the, you know, the wedding, and, and boy, that was weird, right? I mean, a good weird, but, you know, in the timeline of things, uh, it, 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 was, it was amazing to be a part of. And after the wedding, we're at the reception, and uh, I grabbed Ava, I pulled her close, and I said, listen, hon, I love who you are, I love who you're becoming, and one day, Ava, one day, when you decide that convent life isn't the route you want to take with your life, you're probably going to get married to a nice, God-fearing young man, and I get to walk you down the aisle. And I'm like, Abe, this is one of the things that I'm really looking forward to the most. Don't grow up too fast, but one day what you saw is going to be me and you, and I can't wait for it. And she looked up at me, and she goes, well, can we get cake now? <laughs> and I'm like, Ava, I, <laughs> okay, I'm pouring my heart out here, and I think you missed the point, Ava. But as we follow along in our Mark series, you know, um, that's kind of where we find ourselves. That's the context of what's going on in our scripture today. The Pharisees and the scribes, they hear what Jesus is doing in this. So they come down from Jerusalem, and they're kind of missing the point of what's going on. So our scripture today is Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. So hear now the word of the Lord to you and to me. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding onto human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything 
for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So of all the things that Jesus has been doing up to this point in his ministry, right? Remember, he's called the disciples, and they just somehow drop whatever they're doing, and they follow him. Healing after healing after healing, diseases that have afflicted people for decades seem to vanish. Demons are being exercised. He's eating with sinners. He's teaching masses of people. He's calming storms. Remember that time he sent the demons into pigs and an entire region told him to get out because he's meddling. He raised a girl from the dead. He fed thousands of people from five loaves and two fish. And then he walked on water and the scribes and the Pharisees now talk to him and his disciples about not washing their hands. I think they missed the point. Now there are principles of ritual cleanliness set forth by God in the Old Testament. But generally speaking, there are few. And they're supposed to be easy to follow. The Old Testament law, here's where the, here's where the Pharisees and the scribes go way off, right? The Old Testament law required the priests of Israel to wash their hands before they entered the holy place to offer sacrifices. That was the command for the priests. There was no law that required ordinary people to go through a ritual cleansing before they ate bread. That's human tradition going above and beyond God's law. So how did the people go from focusing on God's law to focusing on human tradition? The Bible talks about Pharisees and teachers of the law. We know them as scribes, right? So ordinarily for a Jew, the law meant two things. It meant the Ten Commandments and it meant the first five books of the Bible. This is called the Pentateuch. And there are a number of instructions and regulations on how God's people are to live in such a way that they look nothing like the people around them. This is why when you read in the Old Testament about dietary restrictions, about you can't, you can't wear two different types of fabric together, right? You've got to look different in every way. You've got to eat differently in every way. The people need to know that you're holy because I am holy, says the Lord, right? And so things like dietary laws, um, rules on justice and, and how to live with other people. They're different. We have the whole circumcision thing, right? Nobody else was doing that. God's people are different. And for a long time, this was enough. But around the 4th, 5th century BC, there arose a movement to take these things a step further. How do we apply all of these things to every conceivable scenario possible? The people behind this are called scribes. And this is why when you read the, the gospel accounts, you'll see the scribes and the Pharisees, they're often paired together. The scribes, they are the lawyers, the religious experts. These guys are the ones who write the fine print. The Pharisees are the ones who enforce them, right? And see, what they were doing is they were attempting to live into the how of being holy. How do we apply these things to everyday life, right? So scripture says, be holy as I am holy. That's what God said. And so really what these guys were doing is they're going, how? How can we apply this holiness to every conceivable thought? 
Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So now these legalists are looking at this, and they're going, well, then, how does one get clean hands? Ah, now we can make that systematic, right? And, and so that's what the scribes were doing. And this then became written down later after the, after the time of Jesus. But what they're referring to here is the tradition of the elders. In other words, they're saying, look, Jesus, your disciples are going outside of the bounds because we've always washed our hands this way. So get this. The scribes and the Pharisees, they come from Jerusalem to the country to investigate Jesus and, and his disciples, and they don't ask him what he's up to. They don't want to know about the healings or his command over nature or, hey, Jesus, I heard you raised a dead girl back to life. How did you do that? What does it mean? Jesus, we heard that you just fed thousands of people from so little. How did you do that? And what does it mean? Jesus, you are saying things and you are doing things nobody else has done. Jesus, what does it mean, right? Nope. Instead, they said, Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands with the fingers up? Because this is how this ceremony, this is how this ceremony went when you were trying to purify your hands and it had nothing to do with hygiene. It was a ritual that's not in God's word. So Jesus, yeah, you're doing all these other things, but look, we want to know. We want to know, Jesus, why aren't you washing your hands the same way people washed their hands for centuries before you with the fingers up? And this is how it went. You would wash with the fingers up and water would trickle down. And then you would take the pitcher and you would pour it on this one, fingers up. And then, according to the tradition of the elders, you balled a fist. And then you put the fist in your hand like this. And when this was done, you took your other hand, clenched it in a fist, put it in the palm, and went like this. Now, you're still unclean here. So what you got to do is you got to grab the pitcher, and then you pour the pitcher from the wrist, and now it's got to go down and trickle down and leave your fingertips, because you do it the opposite way, because that's how it's always been done. And then you take the pitcher again, and you pour from your wrist, and it trickles down, down to your fingers, and now you are clean. Why aren't your disciples doing that, Jesus? Forget everything else you've been doing. Why aren't you washing your hands the right way? So here's the, here's the irony in this whole situation. You see, to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, the tradition of the elders, the way we've always done things, the way we've always done things, that's what made a person holy before God. And they're telling this to Jesus. The only person who can make them holy before God through whom all things were made, the guy that the entire law pointed to is being reprimanded by humans who insist that he isn't holy because he isn't following tradition. Jesus, that's not the way we do things. You're wrong. Crazy, right? Now, tradition. Traditions aren't a bad thing until tradition becomes the main thing. Somebody said this quote, I, I, don't, know who it, I don't know who it is, but it's perfect. He, this person said, tradition is a fantastic caboose, but a terrible engine. 
When tradition drives the train, it goes nowhere. And essentially what we're saying, when we place tradition above the main thing, that's what's happening in this scripture here. When we, when we say, Jesus, we've always done it. I've always done it this way. I know what your word says, but I like this. Instead, we're saying, you know what, Jesus? I've got this on my own. Sure, you've got your word to guide us, and, and yes, I recognize everything that you've done for me, but Lord, we've, we've always done church this way. We've always had the pulpit in a certain spot. We've always had the communion table in a certain spot. We've never worshiped in Prairie Hall. We've never worshiped in a church before. We've always done it this way. Except no one can say we've always done it this way because things have always been different, right? Right? As soon as you start saying, we've always done it this way, what you're saying is, we've always done it this way as far as I can remember it. We have a funny way of making a bigger deal of small things at the expense of the main thing. And when this happens, it's the caboose that's driving the train a job it was never meant to do or even capable of doing. And when we're talking about this in terms of the church, we're talking about a caboose leading a local congregation that's trying to, fill, trying to fulfill the great commission, right? To go and make disciples. And that's a task that only a Christ-focused engine is capable of doing. So either the mission of Christ leads this church or tradition leads this church. But somehow... These scribes and the Pharisees, they made their way from the caboose of tradition all the way to the engine room, and they had the audacity to look at the creator of the world through whom all things were made, the healer, the exorcist, the resurrector of the dead, and they had the nerve to say to the one person who could make them clean, that's not how you wash your hands, Jesus. They missed the point. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're often labeled as the bad guys, right? And, and, and for good reason. Jesus really has harsh things to say to the scribes and the Pharisees. But again, their original intention was always good. Their original intention was, okay, how do I do my best to honor God? How do I live in a very holy way? And I sympathize with the scribes and the Pharisees because I'm one of them. They were trying so hard to do the right thing. And they loved their tradition. It gave life to them, they thought. And you know what? I love tradition. You love tradition. Tradition tugs at our heartstrings, right? Tradition is familiar. It's consistent. Tradition is safe. Tradition conjures memories in a world full of chaos. Tradition brings order. I get it. One of the traditions that my family has always done, and I love this. My mom is amazing. See, I grew up Christmas morning uh, my mom, and she still does this, right? It's fantastic. And so when we go over there with the family, there's always cinnamon rolls in the oven, fresh baked cinnamon rolls. Santa would do his thing. And then the heavens would part and these cinnamon rolls would descend down and 
they'd be cooking in our oven or baking in our oven and, and we would wake up to the smell and then we would go out and we'd get to decorate our cinnamon rolls and then eat them and eat more. And I love that tradition, right? But at no point did me or my brother or my sister say, wait, stop, <laughs> stop. We, we, we have to pause here. We can't celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior until uh, those cinnamon rolls come out of the oven. That'd be ludicrous, right? If we go back to Isaiah, the Christmas passage, I love this. Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. Where's the cinnamon rolls, Mom? Crazy, right? This tradition, it tugs at my heart. We all carry things that pull at our hearts. They tug. They pull. And if we don't keep tradition in check, tradition has the power to pull our hearts away from what truly matters. And this is the entire context of the passage. Are we keeping the main thing the main thing? So what does, what does Jesus have to say about this tendency of our hearts to be pulled in the wrong direction by the wrong things? Well, it's not good. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. You live one way externally, but you live another way internally. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. You see, our lips say one thing. Our hearts says another. Our lips say, yes, Lord, you first. But our hearts say, I can't because we've always done it this way. Our lips say, yes, Lord, you first. I can't worship here without certain elements being present. And one of the things that we're wrestling with as a congregation right now, and I, this was part of the announcements, is the American flag. It hasn't been a part of uh, our sanctuary for about a year and a half. And we've got some folks who are saying, where's the flag in worship? And I get it because I love America. And I love everything that our flag represents. And we have good people who have spilled blood to serve this country, who have lost friends and family serving this country, defending the Constitution. And they're going, why isn't the flag present in worship? And it pulls at the heartstring, and I get it. But this is a gut check for our church. Is a caboose pushing? Or are we being led by a Christ-focused engine. And the thing with tradition and the way it pulls at our hearts is that we think that our hearts are always right. We hear stupid things in our culture like, follow your heart, which is the worst advice. Have you really looked inside of your heart? You want to be led by that? And here's a truth from Scripture. 
basically, Scripture says your heart is sinful and it will always deceive you. And that's why we need a Savior. So I'm going to give you a preview for next week. I'm going to read some of next week's passage. Listen to this. And he was saying, this is Jesus. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's what's in our hearts. That's what comes oozing out, right? All of these evil things proceed from within and defile a person. Where does it come from? It comes from the heart. And, 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 and what we're saying is when we put things that pull of our heart above what God is saying, what we're saying is, I got this, God. My heart knows how to lead, so I'm going to follow my heart. I know you sent Jesus to cover my sins, but I'm actually a pretty good hand washer, Jesus. I know, you sent, I, I know you came to do what I cannot do to accomplish in your perfection what I cannot uh, possibly do in my depravity, but my traditions are pretty solid. And it's funny. Tradition is great, when we're here, when we're alive, when we're present, when we're vibrant, it's heavy here and now. But I'll tell you something, on the deathbed, tradition gets put in its rightful context. Before I was called here to the little church in Lake of Grace, I was a hospital chaplain at an ICU unit in a local hospital. And so I have sat next to many people who have been actively dying. I have held hands of many people as they, as they say their last words and breathe their last breath. I've sat with people from our congregation who are actively dying. And wouldn't you know it, nobody really says, boy, Wasn't that a great tradition? People say things like, you know what, I, I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough. Some people are confident. They know. But there's also folks who let the caboose lead. And when that's the case, when you're on your deathbed, Questions like, have I been good enough? Start to arise. And so in a moment of pastoral comfort, I lean forward and I say, have you done enough? No, you haven't. Chaplain, pastor, I haven't been good enough. And I would lean in and i say, no, you haven't. But Jesus is so, so good. And Jesus has done what you cannot do. And so you're going to be okay, child of God. And if we could adapt that perspective now, Perhaps tradition might pull at our hearts a little less and we can focus on the main thing. Now let's look at again at the quote from Isaiah, right? Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
And now they're holding on to human traditions. So human rules and traditions, and friends, listen, if we're not careful and we give too much weight to tradition, tradition becomes the rule, and the rule drives our behavior. And wouldn't you know it here, Jesus gives an example. And he continued, Moses said, and when he said Moses said, he's talking about scripture. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's what scripture says. But you say, oral tradition, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, we're going to talk about this in a sec, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or their mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's his example. Okay, scripture says, honor your parents clean, right? Oral tradition says we can find a loophole in that. And we can use this tradition to condone not honoring one's father and mother. So if I declare something as Corbin, as a good Jew, right? I say, you know what? Um, my property, my house is Corbin. I dedicate my house to God. If I say that, it is now the property of the temple. I can use it for as long as I'm living, but after I die, it goes to the temple. This was seen as a very pious thing to do, right? However, when the day comes when I now need to care for my aging parents, the property that I've given to the temple can't be used to finance how I care for my aging parents. It's Corbin, remember? It's dedicated to God. So what Jesus is saying is like, look, you follow the oral tradition, but you use it to disobey the commands of God. So in a show of piety and, and lip service, an empty-hearted follower of God can dedicate his property to God, and he's now off the hook for caring for his parents. How holy, right? And Jesus is saying, look, somehow this is okay? God never intended that something devoted to the temple be used to short moms and dads in their season of need. Jesus points out the hypocrisy there that is based in human tradition. And here's the point of the Corbin passage. They thought they were so holy in keeping with their traditions, but in reality, they were harming other people. So I wonder, church, could it be possible that as individuals and as a congregation together, that there are traditions that tug at our heart, yet while we work so hard to satisfy these longings, could it be that we may be actually doing more harm than good? So Lakewood Grace. Lakewood Grace, you need to know this. This arose, right? And I'm picturing, when I say Lakewood Grace, this is temporary. I'm picturing us being back at the school. And we're shooting for that. September 12th. That keeps changing because we're kind of at the, uh, at the mercy of the school district. But I want you to know that. That's on our calendar. And there will be a day when we return. But Lakewood Grace was launched from a capital campaign that Little Church on the Prairie did years ago. And we polled our folks 
What do you want to do? How can we use this capital campaign to make a huge kingdom impact right here in Lakewood? And Lakewood Grace, you ought to know, is an extension of that capital campaign. But I want you to know something. And here's the part where I wonder, can our traditions become harmful? All right, church, we can do anything. What's it going to be? What's going to help us make disciples, grow disciples, and share the love of Jesus Christ with all people? What do we want to do? And we pulled the congregation. Do you know what the number one priority that a lot of our folks said they wanted done? Number one, beyond anything else? Keep the sanctuary the way the sanctuary looks. For $4 million, we could tear down all of that, build new, build a huge welcome center. Or for $7 million, we could keep it and retrofit it, and you can have the look you want. That's the one we chose. Although we didn't do it because it's $7 million, and that's a huge burden. But I wonder, I wonder, I, I wonder... What could have happened? What could have been had we held our grip on New England colonial architecture with a softer grip? You see, if, if we lose sight of what the main thing is, we put something else in its place. And our scripture today is saying, hey, church, be careful. So what hope do we have here? Let's go back to the scribes and the Pharisees. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, we've always done it this way, what if we asked, Jesus, what are you up to and how can I be a part of it? What if we ask questions like, hey, Jesus, what am I holding on to so tightly that's preventing me from being where you're placing me? Hey, Jesus, am I keeping the main thing the main thing? What if we were as passionate as making disciples as we were about maintaining the look of our campus or making sure the things that tug at our heart get satisfied? We ought to ask questions, not only as a church, but as individuals. Hey, is, is this a Christ-focused engine that's pulling this train, or is it being pushed by a tiny caboose from behind? Now, the good news, friends, is we hear scripture like this we read it and it confronts us and we're always given a chance to turn around that's what repentance means and so if that's where we are if that's where you're finding yourself today if that if you're listening to this and you're saying you know jesus i've been putting the wrong things up i've been letting that caboose push from behind hey guess what we get to do we get to recalibrate that's a fancy word for repent we get to turn around and say okay jesus i'm sorry I've lost sight of the main thing. And guess what? We can always repent and turn to our Savior and be welcomed back with open arms. And if you're watching this or you're in here today, and I don't want to assume that everybody in here is a Christian or watching online is a Christian, but if you've been wondering, what is life about? What is the main thing you keep talking about? Look, I'm telling you, the main thing is Jesus is your Lord. And if you've never made the commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord, you say something like this. You say, okay, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm a sinner 
in need of a Savior. I've been living my life according to lesser things. I've been following my sinful heart, and I'm tired of that. I don't want that anymore. And if you've never made the, the decision, if you've never made the choice to stop going that way and to turn around and follow Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my main thing. If you've never done that, make that your prayer today. And if you have done that, let us know because you're part of the church and we do this together. You see, it's not what we're capable of doing in our traditions or what we do on our own. It's what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, in your mercy, forgive us for majoring in the minors. Show us what truly matters. For your glory. So, God, I pray that as we leave here today, we have a clear path on what you require. And we find that in your word, Lord. And so forgive us for taking secondary issues and putting them in your place. Give us clarity to see where you're moving. Give us ears that hear you. Give us hearts that follow, Lord. We thank you for your grace that when we get it wrong, you always call us back. So God, we want to be a church that follows you, that puts you first and foremost. We don't want anything getting in the way of that, Lord. And so if there are things like that, bring those to our attention, God. Give us the courage to change. We trust you and we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.